Hello and welcome to Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma, and today we have a two, well, two very special guests, Shady Kalafa and Thorsten. Uh, sorry, I forgot your last name and you put Thorsten iPad on here. <laughs> uh, we, sorry about this being so late, but uh, you know, we're having a little bit of technical issues on our side, uh, but it seems like we sorted everything out. So in any case, it's good to have both of you guys back. Uh, so Shady made a couple of very interesting uh, articles that I used to actually learn about how to put Rust and Flutter together. And coincidentally, that also has helped Thorsten, right? Um, I think, you know, Shady, maybe we could start with you. Like, how did you actually put these things together, right? You, you made the Isolate uh, library. So, like, what was your inspiration to actually start working on that? Yes. Um, so... The, the, the Isolate library actually started from when I actually needed a way so I can run asynchronous Rust and also asynchronous start at the same time because actually you can't, you can't, uh, run the, the, the Dart function in other thread because Dart by design is single threaded. So the way is that it works is that you create um, an isolate, a background isolate thread. You run your Rust code in it, or maybe your Rust code actually is multi-threaded by default. Maybe you are using Tokyo for a synchronous code or something. And then later on, you send the response to that thread that actually will send it back to the main thread. And this is how actually it works under the hood. Now, I find this kind of interesting because uh, Thorsten actually gave me access to his repository where he's working on his RID library. And I did see that he's working quite a bit with uh, multi-threaded programming recently, right? I think there's something with the mutex that you're working on. Is that right, Thorsten? Like, what kind of features are you working on right now? The what uh, Basically, to, to come back to the isolate first, is I'm using that basically to uh, post messages to Dart. Um, so basically, whenever... Uh, you know, some request was handled uh, from Dart and on the Rust side, the Rust side then can post back that it's done. And the reason for that is, is uh, multi-threaded. Um, in a multi-threaded environment, you, you can never be sure that something uh, completed synchronously. Like let's say, I say, um, add a to-do, like in a to-do app. Uh, and now I actually have to go to, uh, say, to the, to the web and fetch something complete that synchronously so you wouldn't know when actually that to-do was added and therefore you can then post back and, and say add it to-do and, and that happens via the mm -hmm. isolate. Now there's another issue with threading, um, multi-threading is basically that in Rust, uh, by default if you're only in Rust, uh, you can only ever hold immutable access to like a variable um, on, on, on one thread. Like it's just like the, the compiler would basically make it impossible for you to have two mutable accesses on different threads. However, when you're, uh, using, uh, FFI, uh, and in this case, with, you know, that has immutable access, or maybe it gets mutable access and tries to up, you're getting a call from Dart, like, a, you know, that basically, uh, sends like a pointer, um, because that's basically how the communication works. It sends a pointer to something that it wants to, uh, let's say modify, and then uh, that function will then resolve that pointer to immutable uh, Rust because the Dart one is running on the main thread. We have mutable access, which you know normally shouldn't happen, but in this case it does. 
And that's why I um, I'm basically for RID, in order to make that safe, I'm using read write logs. That means basically that every time a thread wants to write to uh, the store, like which basically the, the whole read, I get a, a write log on that store and now I can update the state of that store. Now, if at the same time a uh, FFI call comes in, that one will require a, a write log. Or if it only wants to read, right? If it only has to read, it, require, it has to require a read log. And now in this case, it's guaranteed that it actually will have to wait until the other thread releases uh, the the write log. So th this way, I kind of um, kind of got us back to safety um, in in this case. And I can go into more details um, if if you're interested. I think I think you should. I mean, people are that's what people are kind of joining for. So they want to know all the details about how they can integrate together. So yeah. basically. Um, so, so basically, uh, we have to get a little bit uh, deeper there. Um, I remember in the first, uh, the first time we talked, yeah, uh, would have to kind of make sure to to kind of free things and and after use and and in this case for multi-threading, also would have to make sure that the store gets locked and and so on. What I did is I built another API on top of that, um, which basically uh, does all that under the hood. Okay. Do you have any comments on some of the things he was talking about? Yeah, basically, uh, I have like some ideas that could improve his design. Uh, so my my idea is that instead of actually running uh, the multi and using blocking, we could actually do have like one only one mutator thread, and at the same time we can have any other thread, and these threads can actually have a a channel that can communicate with this thread by sending commands to to the mutating thread that actually will mutate the state, and that way you don't have actually need any locking. Um, I am already doing this for other applications in Rust in general, and the applications that I am building right now, uh, the SDK for application called SubSocial, it's a social network, decentralized social network, by the way. So yeah, I'm, uh, the idea behind the way I'm building it is, is using message passing instead of locking. And also I'm using uh, allo isolate to send the message back to Dart. Maybe I will talk uh, about this, uh, about how, how actually this architecture is going on. And the code, of course, is open source. So we, I could share it with, with you at the end of the, the call. But yeah, uh, the idea is that we instead of actually writing the FFI functions manually, uh, like writing each function and which parameters it takes and the return type, maybe it's pointer, maybe it's like uh, stats code, and also later we'll send the response back over allo isolate. Uh, and instead, and instead we only we only have one function called dispatch that takes a shared buffer. Or a shared view of a buffer from from Dart that contains a protocol buffer bytes, and we can we can share these bytes and serialize it into commands, and then later from the Rust decide actually what we do with uh, with these commands. Like maybe like send a user a message, mutate the state, anything, and then send the response back also as a over the over the allo isolate we created. 
that's the way and it's like almost maybe it's a bit a bit slower because uh parsing and and but uh, parsing of the protocol buffer but it's really really fast like it's maybe in bar with uh with just writing row ffr but yeah but still like how actually make it more efficient because everything now is just in memory there is no networking between zara standard just everything in, in the same memory the shared read and write uh and it's like almost safe i say almost because there is like some catches here and there that needs to make sure but yeah um and yes protoboot buffers is 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 an option and uh, as far as i know for instance uh rust wasm uh, does something similar there where uh, they basically uh, like uh, the the, the uh, is it called wasm api or something like that basically integrates with mm-hmm. with the browser they they basically uh deserialize and serialize um and 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 obviously that's an option but but that would pretty right and like make everything serializable and and and, and do that uh, but but that makes everything uh, kind of slow, especially like you say, you have a huge list of something, right? Like if you just mm-hmm. want to get uh, parts of it, you now have to serialize the whole thing. You serialize to have access to anything. So I wanted to basically with the RID, I tried to give you both uh, options, right? One with the with the API that that is kind of raw, that gives you all all the power that you need, but also more responsibility where you have to lock mm-hmm. and unlock and, and free and things. And then on top of that, I have a higher level API that kind of does what you're saying, except it doesn't serialize, but it basically instantiates full-fledged start objects. And, and so if you have a huge list, for instance, right, it would instantiate that whole list before returning anything to you. Um, but in most cases, that's fine. And the other ones, you would use the lower level API. So I think the core of what Shady was saying was that uh, he thinks like having like one thread own the data and then use message passing as a method is definitely a way to do it, and then you were saying using proto protobuf to sit, to actually serialize the data. Is that what I understand, Shady? Well, the the idea behind what I said actually is that for for certain about uh, instead of locking, you could actually have a one mutator thread, and the other thread that actually acting on the data that can send commands over channel, just normal trusted channels, and like for example, I want to add a new to do. So I will have my state machine as enum and it sends the command to do with the payload to the mutator thread over a channel, maybe a broadcasted channel. So it can be, uh, or, or maybe, uh, MBBC, MBBSC channel, like multiply producer single consumer channel. So the, the mutating thread actually doesn't really have to lock anything. It will just receive commands, mutate the data. And when you ever you wanna read, you can actually send it back over the channel. That actually only works inside uh, the Rust itself, or maybe send it back to Dart. So yeah, that's a way to avoid looking at all. And I'm actually using it uh, inside some of our application. Uh, I needed like the client that actually co- uh, communicating with that uh, with the, with the, with the other thread to be clonable. And also can be shared to any number of threads. Um, so what I did is, uh, is that I, yeah, as part of a background thread that actually owns the data, owns the state and, uh, take over like, uh, what's called the TX part of the channel to the, to this client. And then I can send commands like, uh, to over this channel 
or maybe uh, write a wrapper around it, like uh, let's say a method that actually under the hood actually using the TX to send the command itself, which makes a nicer API. Okay, that, that's definitely uh, really interesting, Shay. I, I've looked into channels a little bit. My main my main concern, what I wanted to do was to make the user code as simple as possible, right? With, with with channels directly. So one thing, for instance, when you get a message, right, from Dart, I give you like a mute, mutable uh, store object um, to, to update uh, the store, uh, you know, the, the state basically depending on the message. And and uh, so you're getting that mutable store and that update message runs synchronously. So I basically lock the store and then I unlock it when it's, it, right like you just muted it and and you don't have to worry about it uh, for you're instantiating it um obviously then you couldn't like send that uh mutable store over like you have to get in the third you just get a, a write block but that's for me that seemed a little bit easier um than using channels like you just say uh like you can't even get access to the store except via the yes uh, maybe maybe to improve even the performance blocking and unlocking you could actually uh, use other other uh, mutex and other read 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 write blocks uh, instead of the one in the standard library. There is like the one is from the barking lot mm-hmm. uh, or the barking lot, which is like way efficient and also like there is more nicer API for it. It's exactly a drop drop in replacement for it, but it is like more efficient. I I I hear like I don't actually know if it's gonna be. Inside the standard library, or it is already there, but but yeah, that's what uh, I usually use when I need blocking. Okay, I, I looked into the parking lot, uh, like into the different read write logs and, and the different um, um, benchmarks, and there were mm-hmm. certain cases where it was slower, and then and and just know that these options exist, and basically from the user API, nothing will have to change if if I switch that out later. So so for for read, just to give. Some feedback there is like I'm currently in the stage of make it work. Like you can get like make it work make it, to to show that how how you could build app with, with that and and basically to also build out um, more and more API and and to be able to use more and more data types, for instance, from the dark side. So, but yeah, definitely like uh, performance tweaks can still happen later on as well. Yeah, I can I can also uh, tell you what I'm doing for uh, the protocol buff uh, protocol buffer thing. Is that I have like a one shared uh, memory buffer between Rust and Dart. It sounds like there's a really good amount of like cohesion you guys can definitely have, right? It seems like you have uh, quite a bit of deep knowledge in this area that you can definitely offer some interesting solutions. Uh, I also appreciate you know his, him kind of just reaching in and just trying to get it all done because it is quite a bit of work, right? I think you'd probably spend quite a bit of time yourself digging into how things work and and all that. It's quite challenging actually to <clears throat> to to actually make make sure of the safety of the of the data of the state. And for my for my specific application, uh, this time I tried to use protocol buffer instead of just writing a lot of uh, a lot of FFI functions and with everyone is different parameters and different return type and everything of course is asynchronous because the underlying client is just using HTTP and uh, or WebSocket to send send the messages over the server and the client. So what I did is that there is only two or three methods actually in the FFI side. One is to initiate the client and initialize it in the global state. 
uh, in Rust side, but it is actually uh, uh, there is no looking for it. And the other function is called dispatch that actually takes a mutable, uh, sorry, a immutable view uh, from the Dart side, so it can actually uh, read the data from it, the request it it needs, and also. The other, the other method, the, 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 the last method was called the shutdown, the shutdown, the client, and, and clear everything. And for, uh, for, for the Dart, for uh, the Dart side to send the message, I have like this scheme called, uh, like, uh, there is a protocol buffer scene called one off, uh, body. So the one off body is like generates in Rust and Dart and Enum. With, uh, with each, each message, like, it contains the data, the payload it needs, and also the, the variant itself. Similar in, in the, in the Rust enums. And lastly, you send this request over, over, uh, the, the, send just a pointer and the length of the vector you, you already allocated in Dart. And from Rust, you read, you read these bytes, serialize it to protocol buffer, and match over the request. And dispatch the call and send response back uh, over the allo isolate, uh, and that's it actually. And it's quite quite easy to add more functions as you add new feature to your application. Just you write you write uh, the 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 scheme inside the protocol buffer uh, definition file and hit generate code that will generate for both Rust and Dart uh, the methods you need. And then from, uh, from us, you implement the handler for the, for this request or the new variant you add, you add it, add, and in dark side, you just add a nicer, uh, API so you can send the request. I probably should share my screen and show you guys how actually it works in the code. So. Yeah, go ahead. Shay. I have a short comment while, while it's going on. Like, uh, I, I totally agree that what, what your approach is like a really valid approach. And I actually have worked with protocol buffers also in Dart before. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely interesting. Um, so I, th I feel like we, we had, it's interesting because we have two different approaches to the same problem. And, and I'm kind of interested to see where we both go with it. It seems like your, obviously your footprint, uh, right? You said like you only have like two FFI methods that you actually have to expose because everything else is done via protocol buffers. Uh, for me, I, I don't, I, I don't want the users to have to even worry about uh, doing protocol buffers. And also, I'm still a little bit concerned that, uh, especially if this is going to run like on, on phones and so on, that the serialization and deserialization, especially if you have large data, will kind of eat into the performance, right? So, uh, and obviously, if I was to use protocol buffers, right, and... Um, and even like do something like RID, but do use protocol buffers. It would be a lot, lot easier, right? Because I didn't, wouldn't have to, like right now I'm working on implementing a hash map and exposing the methods on it and iterating over keys and all these things and making that performant. It would be a lot easier to do it the other way, but I, I kind of want to, I'm going to follow the, the path and, and, and see how far I can get with this. Uh, because this is like the, this approach is, is definitely the way uh, to, uh, to kind of get the most performance out, mm -hmm. right? And and since we're already using Rust, uh, that's kind of like the the promise there that you only build your UI with Flutter, but you get everything that's kind of. Um, but I mean, assuming you wouldn't send enough data, like it's that much data across, it wouldn't matter as much. But if you still don't want the performance to suffer, 
right? And that's kind exactly. of I'm taking that approach. By the way, there is other other for uh, wire formats. There is like flap buffer, for example, that doesn't really require you to serialize everything to read this specific data, which is really really great. It's called uh, zero serialization or zero serialization, something like that. I didn't actually use it before, but I hear it's really really great for for like low latency networks or games that doesn't really need to uh, serialize everything to just get the data itself. And it's really, really interesting to look into. Um, but yeah, uh, the sole reason actually for me to uh, using the protocol buffer approach for this specific application is that I don't actually wanted uh, to write a lot of functions. Like I could show you how many functions that I will write myself with every single thing. And maybe adding new feature will be like just copy and paste this, the old function just to change the parameters. Uh, or maybe I will write some macros for it, but but yeah, just just a bit ugly ugly for me to just write a lot of FOI functions myself. That's why I just I need only one function, just uh, called dispatch, for example. Since the uh, the code for the code as a protocol buffer request, serialize it in Rust. This, uh, do the request uh, or the command, send the response back over the allo isolated set. Right, that makes sense. I mean, like with RID, it's obviously a lot easier. You don't have to write the boilerplate, right? You just put a RID export attribute on your function and you're done, right? Now it's exported. And then it generates the boilerplate on the Rust side and then on the Dart side. And then you can access that function. Um, yes, and the same with I fields, said, right? Yes, that's what I said. I need uh, somehow like uh, um, uh, what's called a co-generator to help me here. And right. I, I was like a bit, a bit lazy to actually write my own uh, broke macro for it. <laughs> right. No, it's it's actually quite involved as I as I find out the more I get into red to cover all the cases, right? To return a reference versus like if the function returns a vec with the reference of a U8 or versus a vec with U8s in it. Uh, so like you have to cover all these cases, but th that's kind of the goal with red that you just annotate it like that and everything just goes out of the box, right? And you don't have to use protocol buffers or anything. Yeah, so if, if you can actually see my screen now, um, I will just show a bit of how actually it works. So you have like this message, big, big message called request with like one of body and every variant of this, uh, body is just another message. For example, like get this page by ID, just, uh, a message here if you search it. Here and you will pass like a space ID as do you enter 64. And for, for the response for this message, there is like um, uh, another struct or another protocol buffer message called response. Okay. And the, the response actually is also one of, and there is like a space Y ID also that as a response to the above request. And you, you just implement this in protocol buffer and hit it. And it will generate something like this in Rust. Let me show it. Uh, this. Uh, this one. So yeah, it will just generate this enum for you. Request body and this base by ID. And also like you get like get this base by ID, the, the data itself, which will be just a, a normal struct with that base ID as use 64 as we actually add it in the protocol buffer. And in 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 uh in, in Rust you will have like this function called 
as I said, dispatch that will have like a, a view or a review from the FFI side from Dart. And I just create the isolate. I just decode the, I didn't decode the, the message itself, the view. If it's okay, I get the request back. And then here, the only unsafe code is this. Actually reading the global state, the client, I have a client here, a static client, one cell, and by default it's like none. And then when you call, you call init client, it will actually store the client here, which is like uh, a normal HTTP client to send requests. And, and just to, I spawn, uh, another, spawn, another task in the handler that takes a client and the request and then respond back the result. And in the handler, you can, handler, you can see here, I just match over the request body. If it's like get a space by ID, I just call this function and the response back to the, to the isolate. And from Dart, actually, it is more easier. To send requests, like let me show the okay. Here is the the dispatch message. Actually, I just create a new a new completer for receiving the bytes, and that's also a thing. I create a single port with it. Get the port, get the request as a as a buffer, and create a view pointer, a view a review for it. Send it to the function as we say. And assert the result is okay. If it's everything okay, I just, uh, deserialize the response back from the buffer I received. If like there is an error, I just throw an error. Otherwise, I just return the response. And here is how actually I managed to, for example, this nice API, future space, get space by ID. I send the request as like a normal Dart. This is actually generated by the same scheme file we had earlier. And just call the dispatch function, ensure everything is okay, and send the space. So it's actually similar to a group or something. But yeah, any 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 questions about this? It's really interesting shit. Like, uh, is this code? If this code is available anywhere, please yeah. please add a link to the show notes. Um, I, unfortunately, I can't really since I'm on on the iPad here. I can't. I couldn't see the the code that you showed. But from listening to it, it seems like the architecture that you have is actually very similar. Uh, with the dispatch and everything to what how I have read set up basically where you send a message to what you want to do and you may include a little bit of data with it or maybe uh, like a pointer or something and then and then uh, when it's it, it does all the things in Rust and then it posts back a message and then basically the then the uh, UI side queries the updated state and and re-renders UI so it's, it's, it seems to be somewhat similar except yeah, it, the way it, right. Mm-hmm. And even I have like uh, an example application here that actually uses this SDK and also test cases, but it's really, really simple one, like uh, the SDK itself, you need the SDK, call call any functions you need. Basically, the SDK itself doesn't really hold any state, it's just uh, only the client, the connection, and just keeping like, uh, keeping, like uh, sending requests and response back and forth between between the network and Rust and send the response back to Dart. Because the whole right. idea is that we already have the SDK written in, in, uh, in Rust. So we, we actually tries to manage to reuse the code, the same code that actually used in Rust. So we manage it to the plotter, 
maybe in the future in writing into web assembly maybe for the browser but there is already a java sdk for them so just start for now start right that's, that's really cool i um i feel like the the main difference that, that that these two approaches just really have is like how to how to transfer data right and uh, you're using uh using serialization and uh, and Red just basically doesn't. It just basically works directly with memory uh, via FFI. Right? Um, well, one question I had since you kind of said um, said all these things, like what about error handling? Though that's really something that I have started to look into. But when it comes to FFI and and kind of handling errors that occur and propagating them back to the client, that's something I still am really like uh, a little bit confused. There, there are a lot of libraries out there. Um, but they all do it in a very different way. So I would like to hear your your experience with that. So for error handling over asynchronous, uh, asynchronous cast or Dart, it is like simple. You send the message uh, as like, if you have like your message as a struct or something, you send the, the error over the response. Basically what happened, if you send a result over allo isolate, it just requires uh, the error part uh, to be convertible to string. So if you send there is uh, there is an error, it will just respond back to in your in your dark side with with the error string that you have. But anyway, for for general idea about error handling in FFI, the the idea is basically you send a status code back from the function. The way all C C uh, was was going with error codes. So if the function is returned at zero. Maybe it's like you you basically came up with your uh, preference, but sometimes if uh, if it's returned as zero, everything is okay. Otherwise, if it's returned like maybe uh, minor uh, negative one, it's just uh, like there is an error here. Maybe one is like another error. So yeah, just return a number or a set code, and maybe you have enough in both language. The the real problem is that to keep both of them in sync. And also to implement the display to make it easier for the user to understand what actually this number means uh, instead of just throwing uh, the number. So yeah, uh, this is actually the, the easiest way to handle it. There is another way which is called last error, last error message or something similar to the operating systems. So when you dispatch a call or do a system call and it fails, you you probably see like uh, okay I'm I'm gonna dispatch another call to the operating system to say give me the last error message and it will return an pointer to a string for example so the way actually it it uh, uh, it works for you maybe you could use both of them like return the error message error message or store like a global pointer for the error message itself or just use a simple opcodes or a set codes. That's what I usually use, by the way, the opcode stuff. Okay. Now that makes sense. I mean, in my case, it would be I, either I would post the reply that that I the post would include optional error, or I could just mm -hmm. have a, a a general post like that I post for any error, um, depending on how the application wants to use it. Right. Mm -hmm. If you want to associate it to a request, obviously, it needs to uh, be for, yeah. It can't be a global one. Yeah, because the thing is, once you are once you are like multi-threaded, right? The last error thing doesn't really work that yeah. well, right? So. Yes. In uh, in 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 my case, in this in this case that I'm using protocol buffer here, if you see the response body, it doesn't. Uh, it has a variant called error. 
So mm-hmm. every time I do that dispatch, I just to check if if is a response dot has error. This is like an accessory message for from generated code from Dart, uh, and it says basically if this message has an error variant in it, and if it has, I just throw it error because I make sure the error has a structured form because basically you can have like a kind, also a message, uh, maybe a description. Maybe uh, a root cause, for example, anything you can actually have in this in this case for serialization, because you can have structured messages. Okay, that, that's really cool. Now, now, uh, why I also want to talk about it because I, I looked at different libraries, like I think Safer FFI, and then there was mm-hmm. FFI helpers, and they looked er- there was like a lot of code in there re- regarding I, error handling. I used I used FFI helpers before. Uh-huh. I believe I used it before, and it was. Like it was working for me. Uh, I'm not sure how I using it to over like multi-threading. Never used it over multi-threading. But the last thing is that um in my simple FFI libraries in Rust, maybe some encryption libraries that I I'm trying to use to improve this bit of encryption or decryption. Some crypto library, for example. So I'm just just using status code and in in Dart I will just match over the status code and return uh, an exception. A class for every okay. single single bit, uh, single okay. variant, and which is like really really working good for for this use case. But yeah, just uh, it it needs it needs a lot of uh, of mindset to actually. There is no there is nothing actually correct or wrong here, but the standard is that using status code or maybe the last error, both of them, anything could work. What about panics? Like I, I read that I think right recently. Now there is a way in Rust to handle panics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you done that? Because I mean, obviously, like, if you have a mobile app, you don't want it ever to crash. Exactly. Right? So, so is there a way? There is, huh? there is a way in Allo Isolate to catch a panic that happened inside the task. It will actually report the panic back to the third side. Uh, this is actually if, if, if instead of just calling isolate.spam or isolate.task just call isolate.catch.unwind this will catch the, any any panic happen inside this task and report it back and recover from the panic basically which is good sometimes good sometimes we're bad because sometimes like basically panic means there is like really really something bad happens so basically you just panic and you should stop the application from getting into maybe Undefined behavior or something. So yeah. Okay, interesting. I think I'm maybe using the iOS a little different than than you. Uh, I, I I read some implementations that basically used they spawned up one isolate and then they would mm-hmm. get a, requ- a reply back, and then for every time they wanted to communicate, they spawned up a new one. And to me, that seemed like excessive. So what I'm basically use, doing is I'm spawning up one isolate for the whole application, and then I'm 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 posting replies back. Uh, through the channel, like uh, well, right. Well, basically the 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 way I'm using it right now, the the spawn uh completer thing, actually it it just uh let me try to find the utilities. Yes, all it does is that it creates a new zone from from dark side. Basically, a zone is just a way to like. Uh, it's basically a zone, so you can run run code inside this zone and get like. Uh, and it, it it is not actually a new isolate, but it is like to isolate the 
the, the, this this function or the call from the main isolate itself. So yeah, uh, the way this this zone actually, I'm just to, every time I need to call a new function in Rust, maybe this function will uh, throw an error or something. All I do is that is uh, just create a new zone, create a new receiver port. Actually, it is not uh, an isolate, a new isolate, just a receiver port for it, uh, which is like it's called in Dart raw receiver port. So yeah. Uh, receiver port and then uh, associate the callback for this receiver port with uh, with the with the zoom callback itself, and mm. and then then just run the code uh, inside 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 Rust because I right. know the code but, but because I know the code inside Rust will be uh, handled in different asynchronously and possibly the the code itself will run in another thread uh, other than the main thread. And the response will be sent over to to Dart over this uh, what's called uh, over this receive port. So I know it's not it's not it's not gonna block because everything just meant multi-threaded. But if I I if if my code in Rust is just single-threaded, uh, it will block the main thread. That's when actually mm-hmm. I need to actually in, in spawn a new isolate that will run or dispatch the code to Rust itself and then respond. Okay. No, I'm doing something very similar, except that I have one zone that I that I basically every time I want to uh, post a message right to my Rust, it, it it uses that same zone and it uses that one receiver channel to communicate. But I think that's the main difference. That because I found it like uh, it would be too expensive if you have a lot of calls back and forth uh, to to spawn a new zone and uh, and I think a new you, you you have to spawn a new isolate as far as I know because you get a new receiver channel. Right. No, um, just, you could just call, just create a new receiver port, raw receiver. Port ah, okay. That was our, yeah, okay, our yeah. You, mm-hmm. But you have to at least create that, and then somehow, uh, basically, Rust has to know uh, what that receiver channel is, and you have to connect it and everything. Um, yeah. Okay. Yep. That's, mm-hmm. that's how actually it works. It's just uh, there is like two two functions that I usually use. One is called single call back port for uh, for sending. Uh, just a synchronous call to Rust, and there is another one, single complete port, which uh, is just similar to the previous one, but but takes a completer instead of a callback uh, function. And when everything is just completes, it will uh, call uh, completer to complete with uh, the response from uh, from the from the Rust side. Okay, cool. Now really interesting. Um, and and you said uh, uh, that you. That you did try Wasm, or you thinking of doing Wasm? Have you? Do you have any experience? Because I actually recently did something with Wasm, and um, I would like to hear first what, what you think. You mean you mean Wasm in Dart? Inside, uh, yeah. inside, inside Flutter application on mobile or on web? So basically, like to make to be able, like I, I basically what I did, I, I, I managed to implement the To Do app to run in the browser, mm-hmm. and uh, it's using RID. Um, and basically, it communicates to Rust, but at that point, Rust has been uh, compiled to Wasm, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of things are a lot more trickier or still possible, <laughs> like when you when you start using Wasm. So I would like to did did you did you uh, uh, like implement an app that maybe uh, did yes. run in the browser? Yes. Okay. Yes, I, I, I actually in my in my company we're building uh, privacy privacy bridges of our cryptocurrencies and. And the blockchain, so we have like a lot of of crypto cryptography libraries, and we we wanted to use the same crypto 
crypto libraries in, in from Rust because everything is just written in Rust and Solidity for EVM stuff. But yeah, uh, we wanted to use the same crypto libraries inside JavaScript and uh, because we have like a web UI or a web, a web application. So what we did is just uh, use the same code without any changes because our code already was uh, no STD no compatible because uh, even even though we are using Rust and running natively, our code actually is, is sandboxed, compiled to WebAssembly and running in, in, in Wasmer. I guess. Uh, right, but, but to clarify, you're not using Dart, right? You're just using directly JavaScript yeah, to Wasm. Yeah, JavaScript, right? okay. JavaScript yeah. to Wasm, but yes, right. that's, that okay. was easy because we have a lot of, uh, of like, at first it was uh, using serialization for a bit, then we just managed to using Wasm binding, which make everything is easier for us, yes. Do something slightly different. I tried to get a Flutter app to run in the browser, which you can do, and then use yes. Wasm uh, with that, but that proved to be quite, quite difficult. Um, so one, for one, like you can't, there, there wasn't a, a library like FFI gen for Wasm. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, it's like a JavaScript, like JavaScript, right? Mm -hmm. The, it worked pretty much, uh, like, uh, like a lot of things worked, but there were some things that were really, uh, kind of blockers. Uh, one, one thing was that, and maybe you solved that in your, in your implementation, like multi-threading, right? You cannot just go and create a thread in Rust. Yes. There is no multi-threading in, in Wasm. As, uh, you'd actually... as, I know, as long as I know just uh, web workers. And... Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you have to somehow uh, build that whole... I mean, I'm not aware of anything that, that yet does it for you. There's actually a really good blog uh, that I found that talks about how that could be done. And, and after re and it involved web workers, obviously, but after reading that, I realized that there's a- So I'm, I'm aware of a synchronous trust, a synchronous trust over, over browsers. They actually, they actually, uh, because Rust is designed, uh, the future created suddenly that's ball based. So what they did actually, they had, um, when you create a future in Rust, it actually creates a, as promise on uh not not actually a promise i don't actually remember but they are using a function in javascript i guess windows next frame or something to drive the runtime for for rust basically similar to tokyo and uh and i think std for uh for asynchronous to to pull to pull actually the future and making making the futures to to progress they actually managed to have a way to write the runtime in, in JavaScript to pull the futures in Rust, and this is how actually you can use futures uh, or asynchronous Rust inside Wasm. But ah, super interesting. Not yeah, I'm not sure if it's like uh, it is already there is people using it, maybe. And there is there is uh, I guess there is a guy working at Google Chrome. He managed to use Ryan library. If you, if you don't know Ryan library, maybe Alan knows it. So it's just a way you can run, you use the same code, uh, for, for your, uh, iterators and make it run parallel by just changing and instead of iter, you change it to bar iter. And he managed mm -hmm. to actually make a binding between Ryan and Wasm binding and WebAssembly by just spawning, uh, a worker pool. And then run this, run run it like using threads in the browser. Okay. 
but basically like there's still some but a lot of plumbing still involved like it's mm-hmm. not just straight straightforward exactly. yeah that's yeah. what i found and that's why i up, up ordered that part for now because i didn't i, I didn't want to crawl into that rabbit hole too deep um another thing obviously for wasm was to be able to allocate right so you need to uh, implement an allocator function on the Rust side in yeah. order to even send a string, right? Um, there was another issue. And then one issue that I ran into... Go ahead. Well, basically, in Wasm, there is like uh, just one buffer and you write to it uh, or maybe bump the buffer to maybe grow it more, but just a single buffer and it's just shared between the host and the uh, right. environment. Yep. No, actually, actually, what I did is I implemented a... a allocator so what i did is like you know you want to send a string as an argument to my rust function mm-hmm. right so so I, I i can figure out the byte length of that string and then i basically go to rust and say hey uh, allocate me memory and then and then it gives me back the address and then i can write that string there right mm-hmm. and then i send uh, that pointer to to the function right and then after yeah. i'm done i free i free I, I call free which is also implemented in rust so that's that's the way that I'm doing. Um, but one way that I could not figure out, and, and someone on Twitter actually gave me some points that may be possible, but to send a struct back uh, from uh, from Rust uh, via Wasm, like it just basically would crash with with like non-descriptive errors, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, and that was really really difficult. Like sending like uh, sending strings worked, sending uh, primitives worked, but sending like a struct uh, did well, not work at all. Well, there is there is a way you can. I guess there is a way you can do it. And instead of actually sending a struct, you can send an opu pointer. That way, uh, JavaScript side doesn't really have anything to do with it. It just holds this pointer, and whenever she, uh, the JavaScript side tries, to, uh, sorry, the dark side or whatever you are using, uh, it's similar to JavaScript host by the way. But whatever you want to dispatch a function or a method in this struct. Or maybe access the data itself. You send this over to 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 Rust, and Rust actually uh, casts this uh, row pointer to the struct, which is unsafe, of course. And you get back your struct, and then just dispatch the call or dispatch the the the, the method itself and this struct, and send the response back, similar similar to a function call normally, an API call. But yeah, just right, right. Mm-hmm. It's getting pretty interesting. I'm actually hearing and learning a lot uh, because I know that I was thinking also about trying to help out with the um, the WASM stuff. Of course, I've been crazy busy, but um, that is something I'm really interested about because thanks to your thanks to the work you did, like I managed to get um, something working basically for all platforms except WASM. And yeah, that 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 would have been amazing to have, um, because like I delivered like a Windows app, a Mac app, and then I think the last thing is if I could deliver a web app. Um, but the web, in my my idea personally for a web, I will just try it uh, or use Wasm Bindgen, and uh, from Wasm Bindgen, I it will actually generate for me uh, JavaScript uh, Glue for my Rust code. And then from there, uh, I will just use the JavaScript from Dart, which I guess is very, very easy and possible. So that's what I am thinking about it. So you write your core, your core, your core functionality in just pure Rust. Doesn't really depend on FFI 
alloize it or anything and then you write uh, an FFI that will be used for every other platform except of course WASM and you have like a WASM library or a WASM variant over the core library you have for us and just use WASM engine that will generate a JavaScript file uh, and the WASM file of course and then from there you can call the, was uh, the JavaScript functions from from Dart similar to actually any anything or the browser API or something. And that way actually you will have like universal application. That's what I am thinking about. Not sure if okay. it's gonna work in the, in the future or something. That's interesting. I mean, like the thing is what I wanted is like to not have, for, for the user to not have to call into, I mean, that's basically what was interrupt does, but I didn't want the user to have to write this by hand, right? The interaction mm -hmm. with JavaScript. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's definitely possible, but I think it's a little bit more on the horizon. Like, uh, I, I now saw the, I now reread the the tip that someone gave me. It, it it may have to do like not being able to send structs is uh, with linear memory. It may have to do with like some layout issue in Wasm or something that you have to basically set up. Um, and I think you said like to just send opaque structs, right? Is that that is what you said? Yeah, opaque opaque pointers or opaque structs. Yes, that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, mostly, mm -hmm. but if I have like a vector, like I have to, uh, it's like a fetch pointer, right? So I cannot just only send you a, a, a pointer. You also have to have the information about like the capacity and the length, right? In order to, yeah. to instantiate it on the Rust side. So that, that's the only case where I'm actually sending a full struct. And, um, but even like for opaque structs, if I remember correctly, I had problems getting this to work for, for Wasm. Um, so I'm not sure, um, what went wrong there. Yeah. Well, I have also another issue with FFI in general in, in Dart. For example, when I look, uh, call FFI.malloc uh, or malloc, similar to the one in C, and I, uh, I allocate a struct in, 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 in uh, FFI struct in Dart itself, and then I get the reference to it, mutate the data, and send this back to, the, to Rust. So basically what I think is that after Rust done with it and get back uh, the response from Rust, I, I am I am the one who is responsible to free it. But when I call uh, the free call from the FFI on the pointer that I had from the malloc function, uh, it just uh, crashes my Dart application and says I'm, I'm doubly freeing the same thing, which I'm sure I didn't actually free it in Rust, but I'm not sure why just freed itself. Which is like well, 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 if you just return it, right? It, it basically um, uh, Rust will end up dropping it, I think. Um, so no. you have to basically when you Rust only took the pointer and lens to the to the to the function, and and even though if it's like already dropped, uh, it's just a pointer, a raw pointer, so nothing really. But yeah, maybe... right. But but I think so. Basically, like what you have to do, like. Let's just say you're getting, let's just say you're getting a pointer to a struct, right? And then mm -hmm. you want to operate on it. So I sent you the pointer from Dart. Then on the Rust side, I instantiated. Well, at that point now, I have a reference to it. And if I don't do anything special, it will just get dropped, right? B because, um, like if I send a reference, for instance, on, uh, like if, if I don't send the whole thing back, right? If I send like something that's on it, like I say, a, an ID or something, like I return that. Well, now I, I instantiate, let's say, the store, and if I don't take care of it, like the store will now get dropped because yeah. it's no longer used. 
right? That- so what what you have to do is have to say manually drop, uh, and have to mm-hmm. tell Rust that I'm going to take care of this because I think when it gets dropped, also the pointer becomes invalid. Yeah, that's right? that's that's already that's already clear for me, but. Uh, maybe mm. I'm not. Um, I I need to describe more. So let's imagine I have uh, what's called an immutable array view. So the struct is defined in Rust, and it has a pointer to uh, the first element of the data, and also the length. So I can I can from Rust side I just create a um, uh, a slice, or by giving uh, what's called the function from from a slice and length or something from slice or mm-hmm. slice. Something like that, you just give it a pointer of the data and just the lens, and it will give you the slice back. So this this actually works everything in Rust, but uh, when I generate the code in Dart side, and I allocate uh, the struct in memory in the heap from the Dart side, without calling anything to Rust, just using ffi.malloc, the function from uh, ffi uh, Dart. And uh. I get the, I get back the, the 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 allocated pointer to the struct that I have. I then write write to the to the first uh, element of the the first get the first el- the pointer of the first element of the of the bytes and set the length. So now I have the pointer. I can send it back to Rust that can Rust operate on it the the struct itself. But Rust doesn't really have to drop it, even though if it's dropped the element, it's just a pointer or maybe a borrowed, a borrowed uh, view. And when I get back, try to free the, the pointer and the data itself, just saying I'm just double freeing things. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Quite, yeah, that's quite quite strange for me because I didn't actually free it in Rust, nor I nor I have to. Uh, I have no idea why it does this. But 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 you're basically constructing the struct in Dart, is it right? Like in you're Dart, allocating. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I, I I don't have a case that where I'm doing that. But what I could imagine is that maybe you're writing when you send it to Rust and then you let go of it. Like Dart doesn't know that that memory is still being used and it might garbage mm-hmm. collect, right? No, so it, it might actually be garbage collect the managed memory when you get a point or just have like uh the the heap itself. It just maybe. It has several separate memory regions for the for for the GC to operate on and uh, that's the exact thing. But I I need to to look deeper. Maybe open an issue for FFI to clarification for this. Uh, mm-hmm. That's really it's interesting. Really, it's really strange for me. Yep. But just referring to when you said the slice, you, you like you're doing from raw, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. They also include the capacity, right? Because otherwise you're but going to be leaking only... memory. This is only for uh, for vectors that I allocate from Rust. I need also the capacity. But for for my for my side for for my case use case, the the actual memory and the actual bytes is allocated in Dart. This is actually when I send the request to to Rust basically. And, uh, Interesting. Convert convert the protocol buffer to the raw memory. You int you int list. You int eight list, and then I get uh, convert this list to, to the raw pointer. Or, or as a styled buffer, and then since this buffer uh, gets a pointer to the data, gets the length, sends this back to Rust because actually Rust doesn't understand the layout of the memory buffer from from Dart. So I have to have like a uh, basic uh, struct to have this data, the length and the and the first pointer of the memory, and send it back to Rust. From there, uh, Rust can actually convert it to the slice 
just a immutable slice doesn't really have to mutate everything anything actually and and Rust doesn't really responsible for freeing anything because it just a borrow borrow the slice and serialize it back I have the, I have my own uh, serialized struct now so uh, Dart can freely freeze up the memory when I try to freeze the memory it says it's already freed so okay. That's interesting. I, I didn't have a use case for this because my, the idea of, that I had with Red, and maybe you have a different uh, scenario, but the idea is that all the logic that you write is in Rust. And the only thing that you really do is you relay user actions or anything that happened to the Rust side, which then does this thing. And then when you render, you just get the state from Rust, right? So like mm -hmm. for me, there was never really a reason to send a whole struct, um, mm -hmm. but maybe I'll run into that as well uh, at some point. Yeah. I, I hope I hope like I had like a clarification for it. Maybe I will message you uh, when I have, mm -hmm. or maybe you put the the issue itself. I will post it soon. Yeah, it's added to the show notes too. Okay, sounds like there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah, so it's been I've been listening. I can't catch up with everything said, but I I do understand quite a bit of it. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting. I do remember about the FFI stuff, and I did follow up with uh, errors that one I used from uh, from Shady. Right now, I think uh, an interesting question is like, you know, how do you guys actually want to manage state between the two? Right. So, I think both of you guys are basically saying keep your state within within the the Rust side, or are you actually saying? Yeah, right. I mean, the, the idea is that ideally, like I just said, you, you wouldn't have to send a struct, for instance, from Dart. Um, like, unless there might be some case, but I mean, you could send like a string, right? Like, say the user add, you know, selected the login. In the ideal case, you only send strings and primitives to to the Rust side, and the Rust side then updates the state and then allows the Dart side when it renders to uh, up to to access that state. That's the ideal case, and and it seems like Shady needed uh, some other uh, functionality. And maybe, as I said, I'm, I may run into that as well. The way maybe you have to send, uh, you know, more structure at all in in Dart. That, that at least that's the philosophy of Red. Um, I even like I have an example that uses uh, Block and Qubit, but the um, or the the Qubit version of Block, however you want to call it. Uh, but basically, in that Qubit, there's no logic at all. All it does is like it relays messages to uh, to to Rust, and then it listens <clears throat> on the reply channel for certain events. Like I say, I that added the to do needs to know about it. Also, other parts of the UI need to know about it. So uh, uh, coming in, so you know, if I uh, if a to do was added, I need to update my to do list, obviously, right? So the list uh, queue then listens for the, those events. Um, but again, it's all the logic is on Rust, uh, and all the state is on Rust as well. That, that's really interesting. But here's the problem is if you put all the state into Rust, right? Because Rust is a compiled language, like you really lose that balance. So let's say if you just made a simple mistake uh, and you want to change it, right? Then you have to wait for it to compile again. And then you have to actually restart the app, right? If I understand correctly, because this is Rust and it's a compiled language as opposed to, sure, Dart's compiled, but also has a hot reload feature, which Rust doesn't have out of the box. But I know there's people who are implementing this kind of thing, but they still have another language on top of that, unless I'm misunderstanding something. 
if you do go your route, right, um, once you change into Rust land, you're going to miss out on like fixing small bugs uh, in your Rust code and having that nice ability to have an auto reload and you will, will be good. Basically, um, the idea with RID, for instance, is that you're, you implement your logic and, and, and for that, you, you might be doing that test driven, right? And now when you, when you are and so on and, and you get that right, so that's one approach where you still get the hot reload benefits. Um, also, Rust doesn't compile that slowly. If you just run tests all the time, it's actually really, really fast feedback loop. Um, for the WASM file over the, the network, which I'm basically doing in that, uh, in that example, is that you can basically recompile your Rust to WASM and without restarting the Flutter app, uh, you should be able to basically update that, uh, that WASM file, right? So, uh, so that then basically you, you don't have to, uh, uh, basically, uh, shut down the app and restart it entirely. You can probably just do a, a hot reload might not work, but a hot restart at least would work. So that's really fast still. So then you still get your updated code. So once the Wasm story is is better, we could actually use that in order to uh, doing development at least. If, if you're developing like a Mac app, you could still use Wasm, right? And 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 uh, develop uh, iterate faster that way. Well, um, I had this idea about using Wasm as writing your logic for development, but uh, it was like the sole idea is that I have the host functions running in Rust, and the the logic for this function is written in other language, like uh, a assembly script, for example. So, which part was written in assembly script? The the logic itself, like maybe you have like your application is depending, for example, a function that. Uh, get a square root of a number, okay? And, and to, to actually get this feedback, you maybe want to like, uh, implement a square root, so you implement it in, in, uh, an assembly script. And this assembly script is compiled so fast to WebAssembly, so, so small, uh, assembly file. And you have like in your core application, while development, of course, you have a watcher that watches for it, for if the compiled file is changed. And then hot reload the, the instance of this module, the simple, the, the wasm module. And this, it automatically calls the function again. Without losing, of course, the state. Because the state is maybe the, the number that you trying to, to like square root it is, is, uh, is already in, in Rust as a state. But the logic itself is written in a simple script. It just was a proof of concept of using uh, wasm inside game engine, so you can you can have this hot reload uh, itself. For you, there is um, there is uh, there is a guy in Twitter called Faster Than Lame. He he is he he wrote a very very he actually has a very very uh, good blog, and in in some in one of his blog posts he was actually building a a hot reload for Rust. Uh, to build a UI library just for fun and actually experiment with hot reload itself. What he actually did is that the, the core library for Rust is just written in, in uh, the core library for the UI is just written in, in Rust and it's one like the shell or the window and the, the core logic for styling and stuff like that is written in FFI loadable library. Uh, and what he actually doing is that once you change it, anything in the core, the, in the core library or the logic and hit save, there is like a cargo watch uh, command that will compile the code 
and uh, in his in his shell window code like uh, the core library that actually using the shell window will reload the whole li- the the library and uh, just just apply the the change to the UI itself, which is really really cool because it was really really fast and it was just a proof of concept of course. From my standpoint, like from my experience doing doing apps like this, is that we're tweaking the logic all the time, right? Um, like writing the log when you're actually working on the UI. Um, but it's, it's really nice to hear that it was an idea and, uh, or, or even combined with wasn't there more, there are more options on the horizon that we could use. That's awesome. If I remember hearing correctly, uh, uh, it's possible to use Wasm while on Mac. You're saying like if you're developing on your Mac, somehow Wasm could be used to reload the code for the Rust logic? Yes, yes, 100%. Actually, like, it would be easier, right? Uh, because if you're on a Mac, uh, you could actually use uh, Wasm, what is it called? Wasmer. Wasmer, which is basically a library that gets compiled <laughs> to, uh, uh, basically uses FFI bindings themselves, right, to to to, to uh, interface with Dart. That's why it doesn't work on, on the web. But basically, yes, you can compile your Rust code to Wasm, and you can run that Wasm in Dart directly. Um, be, and, and then you could basically update that all the time and, and, and refresh it. Um, and and hot, at least like restart your app, uh, like hot restart, right? That, that would still work. About hot reload, I don't know. But basically, you could get the Wasm library over the network and instantiate it and set it all up. And, and now you have the updated version, right? That could even allow you to potentially get an app into the app store. And then uh, update its logic after the fact. You could do mm-hmm. like bug fixes after the fact. I don't know if Google would like that because obviously you could also uh, do uh, bad things that way. But yeah. Well, well, for Google there is already applications of running Wasm, but I guess Apple won't try won't like running native code. That's why actually I don't think I don't think uh, Dart Wasm will will be shipped anytime soon in uh, in iOS applications. I remember back then. Uh, Dart actually, when it was compiled to, to compile an, an iOS application, wasn't actually allowed to be in, in, uh, in Apple Store because it, uh, Apple doesn't really want, uh, uh, what's called agitated language. It needs like an AOT language. That's what I remember. It's the very beginning of Dart. I think I remember, well, I don't know about this being an issue, but I know that now they allow that. And I think I remotely remember this issue because they didn't want people to push uh you know new features right that i think i remember something like that what i remember is that they just want they didn't want people to like skip the review process so like you wouldn't just be able to push new features without getting them to clear it and that could also be dangerous too right because even nowadays right people could just push some kind of minor onto your device well i hear i heard that there's certain application i won't say its name but there's application that has a permission to download any zip file, extract it, has an executable in it, and run it inside the environment itself, like Android or iOS. But yeah, it's a very, very popular application, very, a social network, actually. That's pretty interesting. So you're saying that actually when, when, Dart first, when, when Flutter first came out, it was actually more of a JIT language rather than AOT? Not, not uh, Flutter, I guess Dart. And yes, I, uh, 
I I heard this uh, talk from from a guy from Google who actually was 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 like two to from from year four years ago and 2018. He was talking about multi-threading in Dart and the isolate. Back then, when actually there is no way to run other other isolates besides the main isolate in Dart, and it was like way back in uh, the very beginning of Flutter and Dart. So it was it was a blocker for uh, for them to get applications to be published to an app store. It was yeah fun and running on uh, what's called in iOS simulator or something. It's pretty interesting to to hear. I didn't know about this. Yeah, but basically to to connect to the whole Wasm thing and uh, like the possibilities are, are, are a lot. Um, but basically from what I ran into when when trying to use this from Dart, they're like. And I wrote a blog post about it, um, which we should include in the show notes. Um, I, I ran into a lot of basically missing pieces still, which are definitely going to be possible. It's just a lot of work that still needs to be done, which I, I didn't have the bandwidth to do myself. Um, but I think once once kind of the uh, kind of Dart uh, integration with Wasm, especially also when it comes to using uh, Dart and Wasm in the web and in the browser, um, when that becomes better, we have like a lot of possibilities. And then uh, also the idea of using Wasm uh, for development, even when on a Mac uh, and using a Mac app to run your Flutter, uh, that should also become much more uh, easy to do, right? So yeah, I, I had I had this conversation on Twitter with, um, I'm not sure his name, but his Vishlev. A group. He is like uh, working on the the Dart compiler and the AOT itself. And this conversation is a tweet on Twitter when uh, when Sasha, uh, one of my friends on Twitter, retweeted the Dart Lang Wasm repository, and he said like I can't wait to try this out. And and I said yes, I I would try this out because this way I could just instead of writing FFI, I will just compile my code from Rust to Wasm. And you'd run it in uh, in Dart, and of course you could run of, uh, in the web. And he said uh, the, the 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 compiler the, the the guy who is working on the compiler itself. He said, why would you use it in mobile where you can ship the native implementation? Is it like to waste the battery for nothing? And when we talked about this, he actually said. Uh, the, the the abstract intermediate level between your code and the underlying hardware uh, about like uh, the wasm itself and he he saw it like uh, a benchmarking between uh, because he asked my what's my use case I was like crunching numbers I am actually writing uh, something that would do uh, cryptographic uh, and some stuff like that he then shared a benchmarking between WebAssembly and the native. And uh, on, on the popular uh, the popular browsers and also the popular uh, outside of the browser runtimes like Wasmer and Wasmtime and there is also Wavim and everything shows that the WebAssembly implementation or the WebAssembly runtime runs everything like a bit slower like sometimes way way slower uh, by in percent like eighty percent or maybe like less than that. Of the native speed, so yeah, he he got also a point is that if uh, if I don't have actually to run it inside Wasm, why should I? Yeah, uh, so like you, definitely the the native implementation. Sh- I mean, if they do it right, should always be faster, right? Uh, but in this case, like you would only use Wasm to 
be able to run it, at least run it in the browser, even if it runs uh, slower, right, than native. And then the other option that, that I was referring to was like only in development mode, right? While you're working on your code, you could use, uh, and even if you're running, if you're, if you're showing it in a Mac app or something, right? Um, you could then iterate a little faster on the Rust code because you could just refresh or, or, or a hot restart, right? And, and see the changes. Um, yeah, but, but definitely when you ship, I totally agree that you should then just ship it yeah. as, 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 as compiled Rust. Yeah, native. I think we had a really great conversation today. I mean, we started a little bit late, but I think once we got things going, like I, I think there was, it felt like not, it felt like forever, but not like a bad forever because I was definitely eating everything up you guys were talking about. But there's just a lot of of cohesion between you two guys. I think you guys should really try to, you know, work together uh, at least on Red or maybe some other things because it seems like there's a really good, a lot of really good ideas between the two of you. And uh, I think it could be quite interesting what could happen between the two of you guys. Interesting. Yes, sure. Yeah, I truly agree. Uh, I just hope it wasn't too much rust and lower level stuff uh, since this is a, a Flutter podcast. But... No, I, I don't think so. I think the, the uh, actually, I think the most popular episodes we have is about rust because people have a huge amount of interest in rust. And I think that rust and... Uh, Rust and Flutter are definitely, for sure, Rust is one of the most loved languages, right? And I think Flutter is definitely one of the most, probably maybe the most loved, like, I don't know, what do you call it, multi-platform or cross-platform kind of GUI, you know, making app kind of solutions. I don't even know how you say it. Like, I, I can't imagine there being a more more fun one to use, right? Even people, like, using iOS, Swift, Swift UI, I hear a lot of complaints about, I haven't heard very many complaints about Flutter. Uh, very few, and uh, that I think is really the power of it. The most topic in Flutter is state management. Yep. Yep. No, I, I agree, and I see. I saw the same thing, like UI that runs everywhere, but that's currently not available for Rust directly. But I also want to use uh, Rust to program my app logic. And yeah, and then so and then also uh, since you said state management, uh, shady, like it kind of removes that entirely, because all you're really doing is you're you're delegating to Rust to really manage the state, uh, right? Um, I mean, uh, I still use Qubit, as I said. That's also my, my best choice for state management for my applications personally. And also when someone asks me recommendation, because it just, uh, for me personally, it does make sense to how actually it's architected. The, sometimes it's overkill, but in the, in the long run, it just pays off when you start with something like Block or Qubit. Is there anything else you guys wanted to mention or, or talk about? I think for sure Thorsten probably has something he wants to throw out. Uh, please go ahead and say it. Yeah, just uh, I hope that, uh, you know, we included thing to be able to write Flutter uh, apps with, with eLogic implemented in Rust. And as mentioned in the previous podcast, I'm still looking for sponsors. Um, uh, over 30% now to, to my sponsor goal to fully open source RID. Um, and, and to make it sustainable to, to me, for me to keep working on it. And yeah, just, just uh, give it a try. That's, that's really great. I hope uh, this project comes to like the light soon and open source. People can contribute and improve it over time. And I also just uh, shout, out to, shout out to the people that are actually working on the Tori or Tori UI. It's just a way instead of building, it's uh, <clears throat> a cross-platform for building uh, 
desktop application instead of Electron. Um, they actually do a lot of stuff between the Rust and JavaScript side. So probably, uh, first you should look how they actually do the communication, maybe uh, the state management and stuff like that, because the core logic you write in 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 uh, in Rust and you, the UI itself is written in JavaScript in your favorite. Uh, framework for JavaScript, maybe React, Angular, anything. It just ships. Uh, it uses the already uh, installed uh, web 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 UI or web web kit. For example, in in Windows, it will use uh, Chrome or the Edge, whatever. In uh, in Mac OS, it will use uh, the Safari one. So yeah, it doesn't really ship the browser or the Chrome in everywhere. But it uses the already uh, the already installed system default thing, uh, and create a web view, run, render your uh, UI application, and your logic is already written in Rust, so you can communicate between them. I'm not sure how actually it's, it's under the hood. There is documentation and stuff like that uh, for development, of course. But they actually do, doing really really good job at this. Yeah, I remember hearing about this. I think I was playing around with it a little bit, and I was thinking about doing a video about it, but uh yeah i just haven't gotten back into it because i think at that time of documentation uh i just couldn't wrap my mind around every piece of it but it seemed pretty solid uh i was always interested in using rust in the back end for logic and uh yeah i think this is a good project so thanks for it is in final beta now so it's gonna be version one and uh ebay will be locked down uh after a lot of iterations i guess it has been like uh let me see. Let me check. It's been like a lot uh, since actually this this repository started. It's about like two to three years ago, and which like there's a lot of development going there. So yeah, this works actually shout out to everyone who is looking for instead of developing uh, electron based app with and like uh, ship like a lot of megabyte uh, application for just a small small page or small UI. You can use actually the Rust core and also writing your favorite UI uh, framework. Great. And if there's anything else from you guys, otherwise I think we should probably sign off. Everything good for me. Um, yeah, th uh, I want to thank all my sponsors that are currently already sponsoring me, uh, uh, which are basically motivating me a lot to keep going with Red. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I wanted to say. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. I think we should probably do this again. There's another guy who's also working with Rust and Flutter. Uh, I forgot exactly what he was doing, but I, I believe he was wrapping a native container written in Rust around Flutter. Um, I think I shared it with, with you guys, but I believe I shared it definitely with Thorsten a while back, a few months back. I wanted to get him also on the Rust roundtable, but he didn't get back to me. So, uh, yeah, I think that's also a really interesting pro uh, really interesting project he's working on. So, okay. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, thank you guys for joining. I think we should probably do this again when we're, you know, after some time. Uh, let's see how, you know, if you solve any more issues with Rust and Flutter from Shady and also see uh, how far Red is actually getting, you know, going along because it sounds like it's really moving along. I keep seeing PRs all the time. So I can imagine it's really moving forward. All right. Thanks. So see you guys.